Christian congregation, which was in the seaport city of Corinth in Greece. Much immorality was found in the city of Corinth, as is typical for seaport cities. That immorality was making its way into the church, along with a number of doctrinal divisions and bad practices. The reports that St. Paul was hearing of this young church resulted in his writing of 1 Corinthians. Instead of, divide, di, instead of diving right into all the problems plaguing the Corinthian church, the apostle addresses the congregation with thanksgiving. Something that might be hard to do, knowing that there are so many pressing issues, and how can one be thankful when people are putting each other down, some are causing others to be starving, misusing spiritual gifts, denying the resurrection, laughing at a man sleeping with his father's wife, and much more. But by giving thanks, Paul also directs the hearts and minds of the Corinthians toward their Savior, Jesus. In fact, as Paul begins this epistle to the Corinthians, in the first ten verses, Jesus is specifically named ten times in those verses. Nowhere else can you find ten verses in a row with Jesus' name explicitly mentioned ten times throughout all of Scripture. Now, of course, all of the Scriptures speak of our Lord Jesus Christ, Old Testament and New. But here, Paul has a specific point in reminding them of the chief cornerstone of the church, their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This foundation is important because without our Lord Jesus Christ, there is no Christianity, there is no salvation, there can be no hope of eternal bliss, there would be no answers to prayer, there would be no forgiveness of sins, there would be no access to God our Father, There'd be no hope of being able to go and be with the Lord in heaven. Simply put, without Christ crucified, whom we preach, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 or 2, and Christ Jesus risen, whom he writes about in all this resurrection, all in 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter, without Christ crucified and risen, the Christian faith would be in vain, as he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, and we would remain in our sins. Despite the clarity of Scripture, the Pope has declared, or suggested at least, 
<clears throat> that unbelievers can be saved should they live a just life. The Pope wrongly asserts that salvation is possible apart from Jesus Christ. Now, people might say, how can that be? A denomination so traditional and morally conservative. But really, this should be of no surprise to us. Because for many, many years, the Catholic Church has held to higher criticism that the Bible could contain errors. And also, the denial of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus alone has been written into their theological system since the Middle Ages and is one of the main reasons for what brought about the Reformation. Now, lest you think that when I say the Pope has said this, we're only referring to the current one, Pope Francis, know that Pope John Paul II also made it, had suggested that salvation can come apart from Christ if one lives a just life. For centuries, the Roman Catholic Church has taught that good works must also be added to the saving work of Christ in order to obtain salvation. That the sinner must make up for his sins by paying for the temporal consequence of sin. The claim is that Jesus paid the eternal consequence of sin, but there's still temporal consequences that will, sh that will prevent you from entering into heaven immediately, and you must make up for them. And because you are not good enough, and the apostles and other saints were, you can borrow from them and obtain from the good, extra goodness from their account so that you can shorten that time of suffering from the time of your death until that time you could be received into heaven. So what they did is declared that the work of Christ is insufficient, that mankind must then have something to add. And then the logical conclusion is that Christ is no longer the sole Savior. And then it is then up to man to save himself through his works or to be saved through the works of the saints. This is not far from the prevailing winds of general society. Most people in America believe that faith in Jesus is not a requirement to be saved. Most Americans believe that being good will get you to heaven. Among those who consider themselves Protestant, most Protestant denominations, according to surveys, have shown that 40-some percent of Protestants believe that salvation is offered by God to those who are good and yet do not believe in Jesus. 70% of Roman Catholics hold to that view. And of course, many who are not specifically Christian also hold to the view that one does not need Jesus to be saved. <clears throat> 
Part of this influence in our society has also come from the influence of the various lodges. While the lodges do not have the stranglehold that they once possessed, in some communities, you had to belong to whatever lodge was in power in order to run a successful business or to get elected to a local office. It is the platform of the various lodges to expressly not confess Jesus. All of them are expressly religious, though, and they accept as valid religions any religion out there. All of them are religious. And so, if you go to a Masonic funeral rite, the works of an individual are rattled off, and then they pray that the great architect of the universe would receive that Masonic member into the Grand Lodge above. Calling God the great architect of the universe, calling heaven the Grand Lodge above. The Elks pray to the grand exalted, exalted ruler that that Elk member would be worthy of a place in the eternal lodge of the hereafter due to his works. The Moose, they sound the most Christian because they use more biblical terminology. They even sing some hymns that are found in Christian hymnals like Nearer My God to Thee at their memorial and burial rites. But they carefully use hymns, prayers, and readings that do not mention Jesus once, including that hymn, Nearer My God to Thee. And they suggest that the triune God is the same God as the modern Jewish God, the God of Muslims, and the God of other various religious groups. Now, to the undiscerning Christian, the latter will prove to be the most dangerous because the Moose Lodge's rejection of Christ is far more subtle than in the Masonic or Elks Lodges. All of these lodges require oaths in the name of God that are contrary to the will of God. In Christian love, our members have never been allowed to be, belong to lodges. There are many service organizations within our community, outside of lodges, where Christians can participate and help out within our community without compromising their Christian faith. And of course, there's also much opportunity to service within the Christian church within our own congregation. Most denominations these days remain silent on the lodges without studying what they actually believe, teach, and confess. They allow their members to hold membership in the lodges, but it is wrong for them to do so. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he took a stand on many issues that were unpopular. As Paul combated immorality and false belief, bad practices, and rivalry among Christians within the congregation, he did not step away from these issues, figuring that the situation was too difficult to handle. Instead, he addressed the issues, and it appeared 
that the congregation largely listened and followed the word of God. Yet the apostle did not take credit for the improvements that the congregation had made as a result of his writing 1 Corinthians. He recognized that he was simply God's humble instrument. He still would confess himself to be the chief of sinners. And God, the Holy Spirit, Paul recognized, is the one who is truly doing the work. For the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts, converts, humbles, drives sinners to repentance, and works faith in them. The Holy Spirit, above all, directs sinners to their Savior, Jesus, whom Paul so clearly wrote about in our epistle. The Holy Spirit works through the two major doctrines of the Bible, the law and the gospel. While many may bristle at hearing the law, it still remains the word of God. Its aim, the aim of the law, is for the salvation of mankind. It is written not only to teach us what God requires of us, but it also accuses us. The law convicts us of sin. In today's gospel, a question is presented to Jesus concerning the law. What is the greatest commandment? The Jews by that time had codified over 600 different laws. They wanted to know which of those is the greatest. And Jesus told them as it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he declared, without them even asking, the second is similar, love your neighbor as yourself. But even though the law's aim is for the salvation of a sinner, the law does not bring about salvation of a sinner. Yet the law remains good, as we sang about in our opening hymn. It makes way for salvation by driving sinners to repentance. But the law does not cleanse a sinner or offer hope to sinners. The law continues to accuse and condemn. The law makes demands, and it also informs us Christians how God would expect us to live. But in all of this, it does not save us. For the law does not release us from our sin or absolve us sinners. The absolution, that is the forgiveness of sins, is what the gospel does. It's the gospel's task. As we will sing in our closing hymn, the gospel continually directs us to our Savior, Jesus. The gospel offers salvation for free. In this gospel, the, the teaching of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, there are no threats there are no accusations, there are no demands, there are no instructions. Yet the gospel does motivate us to keep the commands of the law. And above all, the gospel points us to our Savior Jesus, who forgives us, reconciles us to our Father in heaven, and counts us righteous solely by his grace. The law, on the other hand, confines us all under sin. 
The law exposes our sin. It reveals our inborn corruption. It shows how dirty we really are, how soiled we are in our sin. And that law, though we need it, never releases us from the crushing weight of our sin. What this means is we cannot purify ourselves, make ourselves right with God, or make amends with God through that law. However hard one may make attempts to keep the law, he is still stuck with his sin. And that's why we all need Jesus. Because no one atoned for our sin except Jesus, who went to the cross and shed innocent blood on our behalf as he bore our sin in his body. Jesus alone was held guilty in our place so that he can count us as guiltless on the last day. Jesus alone, as he declares, is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus, as he has made clear, declared, no one comes to the Father except through Christ. The popes, the lodges, and various religious philosophers may opine that there could be other ways to gain heaven. But the reality is that salvation is found under no other name than Christ Jesus our Lord. What I'm about to say is a hard saying, but hear me out. Heaven is reserved for those who are perfect, and God will not allow anyone to come into his presence who is not holy and live. Those are the ones who go to heaven. But instead of us giving up despair, knowing that we're not perfect and knowing that we're not holy, we draw near to our Savior, to Jesus, who gives salvation for free. In fact, he became our sin so that we can become his righteousness. The Lord laid on Jesus our sins so that Christ's holiness may be imputed, reckoned or credited to us. We are declared righteous through Christ. That means in Christ the Father sees us as perfect humans, acceptable to heaven and ready to stand in the presence of God and live. This is what you now have in baptism. The saying is true that only those who are perfect go to heaven. But now God declares you to have that perfection because Christ removes your sin from you and declares you to have the very righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is who we are by being baptized children of God. And that is the pronouncement we receive in Christ, that we are not guilty. And so as far as the east is from the west, that is how far our Lord has removed our sin from us. All by grace, received through faith in Jesus. So it's not the unbelieving just people that can somehow obtain salvation. 
because they relinquished it. They let it go. They replaced it with other lies or the hope that they could somehow save themselves. But we cling to Christ. And so when we stand before God for judgment with Christ as our advocate and Savior, as baptized and redeemed Christians, we will appear before God as perfect. And not even the smallest sin could convict us or count against us. Not even the biggest sin could do that. Can it get any better? Salvation for free, earned by someone else and credited to us. Why then do people so quickly turn from this gospel and replace it with systems of works? Why do so many yawn at the most precious and glorious gift that we could possibly receive? For some, they figure it's just too good to be true. For others, they think that faith in Jesus is too narrow, too exclusive, that there ought to be other ways. They'll make the argument, what about those who have faith in themselves? What about those whose faith is in Muhammad or in flying spaghetti monster, other fake gods? Why even require faith, some will opine. Because Jesus is the only way of salvation. Faith clings to Jesus who died for us and rose for us. Faith listens to the voice of God, both the law and the gospel. Faith rejoices in the salvation won and earned for us by the only one who shed innocent blood on our behalf to offer the ransom payment for our sin, Jesus Christ. And through faith in Christ, you are enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, life everlasting. Amen.